because he threatened us that unless you love me, you're going to go to hell. Yeah, let's say that. And say, we love him because he threatened us that only thou shalt love me, says the Lord, and you better, or you're not going to get blessed. Huh? We talked about spiritual dyslexia, which is to threaten, in that sermon I talk about to threaten unbelievers with hell is dyslexic. And I offered a thousand dollars to anyone who could find one instance where Jesus, who spoke more about hell than anybody else, where he ever spoke about hell to a, an unbeliever or a sinner. And I haven't had anybody email me for the thousand dollars. I hope you've been looking and searching for the scriptures to find, because I will pay. I said he did all his sermons about hell to the Pharisees. So some folks say, well, thank God my pastor preaches a lot about hell. Well, he must think you're all Pharisees. But since I don't think all of you are Pharisees, I don't uh, mention that much. So, but if I change, you know what I'm thinking of, you know. <laughs> you know? So, so, uh, so are you with me? And I talked about how, how do we love God? Well... And then we talked about it. it, it's a revelation of the Holy Spirit. We had a wonderful time teaching, and I, I think I may have one or two more installments of that in me. So here we go. Are you ready? Are you ready? Let's go to Mark, uh, Matthew, excuse me, chapter 9, verse 10. As Jesus sat at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that... Now, let's just pause for a moment. You notice here that they didn't go directly to Jesus. They went to the others, and then Jesus overheard it. How many know people haven't changed very much? Sometimes people are thinking or saying something about the pastor in the church, but they don't go to the pastor. So somebody comes to the pastor and says, you know, people are saying this and this. Where are they? Well, it's just people. So how many know that not only is Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever, but human nature is the same? Anyhow, Jesus heard it, and he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. So Jesus says here now, he says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. How many here are followers of Jesus? How many of you have gone to learn what this means? I mean, here Jesus says, now this is something I want you to... In other words, there's more to it than meets the eye. He's saying, now I want you to go and study this. Go and ponder this. Go and think about this. And... I, looks like nobody has had a special study on this, but Jesus says, this is what you should go and study. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Go, go, and, go and figure out what does that mean. Go and learn. What does that mean in a practical way? So, so how many are ready to have a go at it today? All right, because Jesus told us to learn this. Well, let me just speak in the context, first of all. You know, the word mercy in the Hebrew is the word has said. Everybody say has said means God's loving kindness in the New Testament, having pity or having tender mercies or having compassion are sort of synonymous words. 
And so, uh, so, so what is Jesus saying here? He's saying, I, I want you to go and dis- uh, study what does it mean to have loving kindness? What does it mean to have tender mercies? What does it mean to, to, that, that, that I desire compassion and, and not sacrifice? What does that mean? What is love all about? You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is the love chapter. And sometimes we only teach that chapter from the perspective of, well, this is what you're supposed to do. Love is kind. Love is gentle. Love is long-suffering. And we sort of measure people saying, well, I want to, is she long-suffering? Is she she kind? Is she she gentle? But, you know, primarily, it it deals with human behavior, but 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is a description of Jesus. Jesus is love. God is love. God is kind. God is gentle. God is long-suffering. So it's not primarily a command. You better live up to this love standard. This is the love chapter. It's a revelation of who God is. And when we have that revelation, we say, I want to follow my Heavenly Father to imitate Him, to walk in love as He is love. Amen? Now, in the, in the Old Testament, they lived under a sacrificial system. Everybody say sacrificial system. And Jesus says, I, don't, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. So what is Jesus saying? You see, you see, in the Old Testament, they brought sacrifices. They brought a dove. They brought a, a lamb, you know, to be sacrificed. And they bring it to the temple. And they put it on the altar. And the fire of God would consume it. And this was very much ceremonial. It was ritualistic. They went about doing this. And what is Jesus saying? He's saying, I don't really desire sacrifice. It's not the sacrifice for the sake of the sacrifice. But the whole reason for the sacrifice is that you would see mercy. Because the people became so accustomed, well, let's bring a lamb to the temple. Well, you know, they were so used to the fire of God coming, consuming that lamb. So they were going through the motions. And and, and Jesus is saying, what the Heavenly Father really wants is not sacrifice. He wants you to see that these sacrifices depict His mercy. So that when that lamb is placed on the altar, that is a lamb that is a substitute for your sins. God wants you to see that He is full of said. He is full of mercy. He is full of compassion. He is full of loving kindness. That's what this is about. God's not trying to make life difficult for you and say, you better go to the temple and bring a sacrifice. You better go and bring your lamb. And we haven't brought a lamb for a while, Mama. We better get over there and bring... That's not what it's about. It's that when the fire of God comes down and when you put that lamb on the altar, that you would be standing there overwhelmed with, oh, God is a God of mercy. That's what I want. What does it mean to us today? God would say in this New Testament, Testament setting. What I desire from you is not that you, that you, once a week I better go to church and you know I better lift my hands and, and now we better have the communion and, and we better sing and we better pray. God said that's not what I'm desiring. What I'm after is not that you will go through all the rituals of your religion but that you would see my mercy. See, we had just the Lord's table here earlier today, and people can sometimes say, oh, I think we should have the Lord's table every day. I think we should have it once a week. We think we have it once a month. I don't think we can argue. That's not the point. It's not whether you have it once a day, once a week, once a month. What Jesus is saying, what I want you to know, I want you to see my mercy. Whether you have it off or not, I want you to be full of my mercy. I want you to see how full of loving kindness I am towards you. So Jesus says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. The sacrifices were just to reinforce the revelation that I'm a God full of compassion, full of pity, full of loving kindness towards all people. Oh, somebody give the Lord praise for that. Hallelujah. So we ought to study God's mercy. 
What does it mean to know God's mercy? Well, I, I, I thought of Psalm 103, verse 7, where it says, He makes known His ways to Moses, but His acts to the children of Israel. You know, to know God's mercy is to know what motivates God. And it says here, Israel knew God's acts, His actions. In other words, they saw the miracles. You know, they saw all the wonderful things. So they knew what God was doing. But it says Moses knew his ways. That means Moses knew why God was doing what he was doing. It was more intimate. To know his acts is formal. But to know why, what motivated God, is much more intimate. Isn't that right? Like you can read a book about some great person in history, you know, and he did this and he conquered that and he went there. But, you know, if you know the person in the book, you can say, well, I know he did all those things, but I know why he did it. I know the person. Like I'm just looking at Albert and Joanne de Jong. They have, a, they have a book about their life. And you could read that book. You say, oh, they did here and they went there and they spent a few years there and they did this and I did that. Yeah, that's good. But if you get to know them, you'll be able to say, yeah, yeah, I know all that. But I know why they did it. I know their heart. And you see, if you know God's heart and his heart is full of mercy, full of loving kindness. Oh, that's what God is after. That's why David, you know, King David speaks more about God's has said, God's mercy, than any other person in the Bible. See, Israel all knew the acts of God, but they couldn't go after Goliath. Oh, they said, oh, God's done it before. Yeah, maybe he'll do it again. They'd seen all the miracles. But David knew God's heart. He knew his ways. And so he said, I'm going to go against that Philistine who defies the living God. How many want to know his mercy, his way? Show me thy ways, O God, is what David said. What is to know his mercy? It says in Psalm 103, verse 8, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in mercy. You know what mercy is? Mercy is not getting the bad things we deserve. Let me say that. What is God's mercy? It's not getting the bad things we deserve. We deserve hell, devastation, poverty, failure in your business, maybe in your marriage, in your personal life, sickness, death. We deserve all those things. But God's mercy is not getting what we deserve. So by its very nature, mercy is for the undeserving. That's, that's the nature of it. People say, oh, oh, I've done so bad. Oh, oh, there's no sense in praying for me. I don't deserve God's mercy. That's the nature of it. It's like, it's like, it's like, it's like Jesus says, it's the sick who need a physician. With my dentist sitting in the front row, I could say, it's the people with a toothache who need a dentist. I mean, you can't call up your dentist and say, oh, I have a terrible toothache, I can't sleep, but you know, I, it's too much of a toothache. Oh, I don't want to bother you. No, that's when you need to bother your dentist. That's actually, you need to bother them other times too and prevent the toothache. But let's not go, let's not ruin my illustration now. I'm trying to show something here to you that of course it becomes very contradictory to say, oh, oh I'm really sick. I don't want to bother the doctor right now. I want to wait till I get healthy. Then I, then I go over there. No, you need the doctor when you're sick. And mercy, by its very nature, is for the undeserving. You see, grace, mercy and grace go together. And you know, grace is getting the good things that we don't deserve. I said, mercy is not getting the bad things we deserve. But grace is getting the good things that we don't deserve. Maybe we don't deserve health. Maybe you've been abusing your body for the last 49 years. 
But thank God you're changing. You're changing your eating habits. You're changing your sleeping habits. But never mind. God is still full of grace. He is still a healing God. Can I hear an amen to that? Maybe, maybe we don't deserve success and prosperity and happiness in various areas of life, but thank God for His grace. Oh, He is a God full of grace and mercy. And I tell you, uh, knowing His loving kindness, knowing His mercy, is to enjoy His miracle provision. The greatest hindrance, hear me, the greatest hindrance to understanding and receiving God's loving kindness, His grace, His mercy, His goodness, is religion. That's the biggest thing. Because if we could see, if we could just take off all the camouflage of low self-esteem religion and see how much God loves us and see it, then it's easy to receive. That's why David received, because he saw God's mercies. Another case in the Bible, there was a man called Jehoshaphat who was in big trouble. You've heard me preach about him. He was surrounded everywhere. So he appointed singers to go in the front. And what were they singing? Praise the Lord. His has said, His mercy endures forever. So what was Jehoshaphat doing in the midst of great problem? He was declaring and extolling, God is merciful. I deserve to lose this battle. Oh, my goodness, we should have been prepared. We should never have been surrounded by this enemy. We should never let this thing get so close. We should never let this happen. And so he says, here I am at wit's end. What am I going to do? I'm going to have singers go out and extol God's loving kindness. Praise the Lord. His loving kindness, His mercy endures forever. What was the result? They spent three days in a place called the Valley of Barakah, which means the Valley of Blessing, collecting goods collecting treasures that were left behind by the surrounding armies who had fled. You see what I'm saying? And so there's a connection between God's mercy, seeing, oh my God is a wonderful, merciful, loving and kind God and enjoying His miracle provisions. I want to say to you today, maybe you're facing some enemies. Maybe you're facing an enemy of lack, of failure, of sickness. In the midst of that, extol God's mercy. Get to know this, what God wants is mercy. And the more you see His mercy and His love, it's easy to receive. It's not hard to receive. If you know how much God loves you. I'll get back to that point in a moment. But let me just put it, give you another verse right now. Psalm 30 verse 5 says, His anger is but for a moment. His mercy or His, his favor is for life, is forever. Amen? His, his anger is for a moment. That's what I said to you last week. Somebody says, oh, Pastor Peter, you preach too much on God's grace. You preach too much on God's love. I said, well, since His anger, you should preach more on God's anger. You need to preach a message on God's anger. Well, His anger is only for a moment. His mercy endures forever. So what should I preach the most on? That which is for a moment or that which is forever? You tell me. Well, we should focus our preaching on here. Can I hear an amen to that? Yeah. Some of you thought the verse says, well, his mercy is for a moment and his anger is forever. That's what a lot of people thought. Yeah, it's going to be forever. No, his anger is for a moment. Turn to your neighbor and say, stay awake. Hallelujah. Right? I mean, you see, I mean, God is a good God. You know, this is how good God is. The Bible says in the book of Ezekiel that God takes no pleasure even in the death of the wicked. It says God takes no pleasure. That's how good he is. 
So even when a wicked person dies, God says, Yeah! Nailed you, Bubba! You had it come. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I hear two hallelujahs. That's wonderful. You know, I mean, even, you know, if we have a judge in our, in our judicial system, a judge, a good judge, is a kind judge. If I use the U.S. system as, a, you know, as an illustration, can you imagine someone sitting in the judge's chamber saying, electric chair, boom. Next, electric chair, boom. Let's order some pizza. Next, electric chair. Let's have some Tim Hortons. Ah, ah, electric chair. Ah, I ain't got a lot done today. How many don't want to judge like that in the, in the natural court? Oh, you're heavily for the death penalty here. I can see that. <laughs> no, God is... It even says, I don't have time to get into all these things, but you know, I, I, any sermon I preach, I research it carefully. It even says that at the end of time, after the tribulation, when God will judge His enemies, as prophesied in Isaiah 28, that, that, that's called God. It's a very strange thing for God. It's a foreign thing for God. Even when He's going to have to judge the Antichrist, it's, it's not really the way God likes to do things. So even it's described as, as, as a foreign thing to God. Now, God can protect His children. You understand what I'm saying? He can protect His children. But even then, even when He has to protect His children against some evil and something, and something happens to someone who's really just infiltrating and attacking the work of God, even then, God takes no pleasure in it. He's not enjoying it. Because it's not His nature. His nature is mercy. That's why, let me give you this example. You know, we've heard, most of you have gone to church, you've heard, you know, about the, in the Old Testament, you had the, the holy place and the most holy place, right? How many have heard teachings on that? And then God lived in the most holy place. And you know, and, and only the priest could enter once a year. So we think, oh my goodness. Because the people were so dirty and filthy and sinful. They weren't allowed to get in there. And we preached that and preached that. And that's true. But you know, it wasn't just that the people weren't allowed in. I think God was, uh, the, the Holy of Holies protected God from the people. And the people from God. How? Because God knew. I said, I've got to stay in the Holy of Holies. Because if I get out there, I've got to judge them. So God stayed in the Holy of Holies, so he didn't, he didn't have to go out and see the mess. Because you know that sin had to be judged. So he kept himself there. But then, when Jesus died on the cross, all God's anger against sin was poured on Jesus. You remember the sermon I preached a few weeks ago on that? God's not angry anymore. And so the veil was rent, and God says, I can get out of this place now. Because all their sins have already been judged. I don't have to be mad at anybody anymore. Oh, praise God. So when the veil rent... Yeah, it wasn't just so that we could gain access to the Holy of Holies. No, it was God says, I can look at them now. Because I'm not mad at them. I'm not angry anymore. Remember that whole sermon I preached about Isaiah 54? God swore and, and said, I'll never be angry again. So God could face the people because why? Why? Because all His anger over every sin, every wrong deed had been poured on Jesus. That's good news, friends. Hallelujah. Amen. So God's loose in the world today. He's not in one place. He loves everybody. His anger is not here. It was for a moment, but His mercy endures forever. Oh, somebody get happy about that. All right. Let's, how many want to learn a little bit more? Jesus says, go and learn what this means. Here's another verse. Psalm 36. How precious is your loving kindness. And that's a synonymous word for mercy or compassion. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore, everybody say therefore. The children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house. And you give them uh, drink from the river of your pleasures. 
For with you is the fountain of life, and in your light we see light. So what's it saying? He says, how precious is your loving kindness. In other words, oh God, you're so loving, so kind. Therefore, therefore, in other words, it's contingent upon understanding how much God loves us. Therefore, your children put their trust under the shadow of your wings. They trust you to protect them. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of their house. They're outwardly satisfied. But also inwardly, you give them to drink from the river of your pleasures. For with you is the fountain of life. Do you see the connection here? Do you see that? That when we, when we are overwhelmed with the revelation of His loving kindness, it's easy to trust Him. That's why my title today is, Knowing His loving kindness increases our faith. It's easy to trust God. Therefore, therefore, we know, of course, my Heavenly Father will not withhold anything. That's why Jesus said, you know, even those who are evil in this world treat their children good. Even Saddam Hussein was nice to his kids. How much more our Heavenly Father shall give every good thing to us. You see, so you say, well, when I think of His goodness, when I think of His loving kindness, when I think of this, of course, I'll put my trust under the shadow of His wings. Of course, I'll trust Him for everything I need. Of course, I'll trust Him for the present and the future and the past and for everything. Of course, when I consider how precious His loving kindness is. Amen? And then he says, I love this. So I've got to just make a little commentary on this part of the verse. It says, in His light, we see light. Let me explain something that happens in this church, I would say, pretty well every Sunday. You know, sometimes when people have a special need, they come to church and they're thinking, I hope Pastor Peter is going to preach about my need today. So, for example, if you have a business problem you're dealing with, you may be thinking, you know, I wish our church would give some teaching on that. Or if you're facing a marriage problem, you think, I... Well, when am I going to teach on that? Or if you're facing some disciplinary problem with your children, you may think, well, I wish you'd teach on that. Good. Don't look at me like that. How many have been there, done that? Come on, lift your hand, right? You think, well, when are we going to get onto that topic? And many people don't understand this very simple thing. In His light, we see light. So what happens when the Word of God is taught, like today, about God's loving kindness? There's a light that shines. And we see. And so suddenly, and this happens to me all the time, people come to me and say, you know, you know, I appreciate that sermon you preached about. I said, I never even preached a sermon on that. But they got something out of my sermon that I never even said. Because when God's revelation, when someone preaches the Word of God under revelation, not just giving principles that you pull out of a book somewhere, but revelation, the Word of God is like, people, some of you, you have getting solutions to your business problems, you're getting solutions to how to deal with your children, all kinds of things are going on in this room, because there's a light here on this truth that God is a God of mercy, and in His light, you see light. Let me give you an illustration. For example, let's say you're going through a dark room, and you trip and fall, and you're trying to find your way out, and then you realize, you grab your ear and say, oh, I lost my earring. must have fallen off when I, when I tripped. So you go and try and find a light somewhere, right? Because you're looking for your lost earring. And finally, you find the light switch, and you stumble in there, and you turn on the light. You say, well, where was I when I lost that earring? And you go over there, and you say, oh, oh, there is it. There, there it is. But when you find your earring, you also realize, I lost my wallet and my toupee and, and my bracelet and everything else. So you get it. 
even though you were just going for the light for the earring. Must be a... Are you still there? You said, I, you know, I, I was just hoping for light on the earring, but I got light on the toupee. I got light on, I got light on the bracelet too. I got it because in His light, we see light. So sometimes we are so Dr. Philized in this world. You think that we have to give you like seven steps on everything? But we need to address this. No, you just teach God's Word in a revelatory, anointed by the Holy Spirit way. And in one big swoop, I catch all the needs here. <laughs> I do it every Sunday. Every need you have is covered pretty well every Sunday when I'm teaching God's Word. Because God's light comes, and you take this and you apply it in different areas and changes your thinking. How many got something out of that little, little bunny trail? On His light, we see light. Let's give a, a big hand for the Lord for His light. Amen. All right. Everybody say, my God is full of mercy. Amen. Let me give another verse here. Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. He's good for His mercy endure forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Whom He has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. You know, sometimes we are very funny, we Christians. And I, and I had to snicker a little bit because I was thinking of a song we sing. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So, let the redeemed of the Lord say, so. But that's not what the verse say. Nothing but you're going to say, so, 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 so. It's like, let the redeemed say, so, so, so. No, let the redeemed say what it said before. Thanks to the Lord for His good, His mercy endures forever. So the chorus should be, let the redeemed of the Lord say thanks to the Lord for his mercy endures forever. That's what the redeemed should be saying. They should be talking about extolling his mercy. But we make the... Come on. Well, I'm following when the scripture says I should say so. So I'm saying so. So, 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 so. so. Let's write a chorus about that. So. We, we, got, we got to get the message. Hallelujah. Come on, let, let me test you, see if you got it. Let the redeemed of the Lord say. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, pretty good. You're doing pretty good. I, I heard a few souls coming out there, you know. Let me try. Let the redeemed of the Lord say. Oh, give yourself a big hand. You're passing the test. Hallelujah. We're supposed to say, His mercy, His loving kindness endures forever. Hallelujah. And the more we see that, confess that. Easier it is to receive. Now let me just let me just say to you that my, my next point here. Actually, have points in my sermon. I'm point number one was go and learn that God wants mercy and not sacrifice. Second point was knowing His mercy, His loving kindness increases our trust and our faith. And then number three, to know Jesus is to know God's loving kindness. The greatest revelation of mercy is Jesus. Hebrews one says. God, who has various times and in various ways spoken times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son. So now, thank God for all the prophets and all the things we see of God's love and mercy there. But Jesus is the ultimate revelation of, of who God is. Jesus said in John 1:18, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared it. 
And so, when you look at Jesus, you see the fullness of who God is. See, God couldn't really be himself in the Old Testament. That's why he was all locked up in the Holy of Holies. God's true nature is mercy, love, and forgiveness, and grace. But because of people's sins, and God didn't want to face it, he was locked up. But now that Jesus took it, God can show his true nature the way he always was. Amen? Because sin has now been dealt with. Glory to God. And so then you see Jesus, he never turned anybody away. He never said, today is not your day for healing. Today is not your day to receive. He always forgave. He forgave every sinner who wanted forgiveness. He healed every sick person who came to him. He always showed compassion. So thank God for the, for the glimpses we get of God in the Old Testament. But you know, the full revelation of God is in Jesus. I want to just, I wrote down some instances from the Bible. I want to just give you these to minister God's compassion for you today. For example, it says, when there was a funeral procession coming out of the city of Nain, that there was a widow there, and she had obviously lost her husband, and now her son had died. And it says in Luke 7, 13, it's not on the PowerPoint, let me quote it to you. When the Lord saw her, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion. He had, in the Hebrew, has said, he had tender mercies towards her. And says, woman, don't weep. See, the, pay close attention. He doesn't say, at that moment, Jesus said, I feel like I'm a man of faith. I feel mountain-moving faith. I'll show her what God can do. No, he was moved with tender mercies. That's, that's our Heavenly Father. Look at this verse here. It's on the, on the screen. Matthew 14, 14. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion and healed their sick. Do you see the connection there? What, you've got to know his ways. What motivated Jesus? Compassion. He wasn't saying, well, I'm going to show them that, you know, I understand how faith works. I understand the law of faith, and I know, I'm telling you, I'm going to go out there and show them that I have a great ministry. No, he was moved with compassion. Loving kindness. That's the way God is. Amen. Look at this. Matthew 20. See, the Holy Spirit is ministering. God's compassion to people here right now. I'm now one bit surprised that all kinds of miracles might occur in this room right now. Not at all surprised. Hallelujah. Look at this. Two blind men were sitting by the road. When they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out saying, Have mercy on us. In other words, oh God, give us what we don't deserve. Give us what we don't deserve. Oh, that Lord, Son of David. Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet, but they cried out all the more, saying, Oh God, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us, Son of David. Oh, Son of David, give us what we don't deserve. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, What do you want me to do? So they said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be open." So Jesus had compassion. Jesus had loving kindness and touched their eyes. And immediately they received their sight and followed him. I want to give you a principle from God's Word. I've given you lots already, but this one is a principle that Jesus Christ, as being the 100% perfect representation of God, never ignored a call for mercy. He ignored challenges. He ignored people who wanted a miracle, you know, show that you're the Son of God, or, or, or you know, do this. Herod wanted a miracle. He ignored all kinds of calls for miracles. Just, just ignored it. Didn't respond. But there's not one of my $1,000 challenges, you know, I'm just saying it to make my point. He never ignored someone who called for what they didn't deserve. 
You know why that is? Because proud people never call for mercy. Proud people don't call for mercy. They may quote scriptures. They may tell God what he should do for them. But they don't call for mercy. Because a proud person inwardly doesn't feel they need mercy. They feel they're living up. I've been in this so long. I've been giving. I've been... I've gone to Bible school. I've done this. But Jesus Christ, never, being the 100% perfect representation of God, never ignored or was unresponsive when someone called for what they didn't deserve. Hey, think about that. It's getting quiet here, but you know the presence of the Lord is here. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me give you some more. I told you, I, I felt when I was preparing this, I'm just going to have a little compassion soaking time here, all right? Amen. Hallelujah. Let's just lift our hands and just thank Him. Never, never did He ignore that. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, praise you, Lord. We see light in your light. Hallelujah. Let me give you a little bit more here. It's a strange thing in Mark 1, this instance is not put in the right chronological order. You can compare with the other Gospels. In Mark, this miracle comes before all the other miracles. So if it's not in the order when it really happened, then it would be a teaching purpose why this account that I'm about to quote comes earlier in Mark. Obviously, there's something that, that the Gospel of Mark is teaching. It says, Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, tender mercy, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Now, the way I, I've, I've quoted this verse hundreds of times, because, you know, you often get into arguments sometimes with people, especially if you move in the religious circles. Thank God I don't move too much in those circles, but people say, how do you know? Prove to me that God wants to heal everybody. And so this is a good verse to pull out, you know, and say, well, here, you know, this is the only time in the Bible that somebody was questioned, does God, Jesus ever was questioned, do you want to heal? And he said, I will, you know, so this settles it, bless God, and, you know, I know how to preach this verse. But I was reading this earlier this week, and I thought, you know, really, if you see his compassion, he was moved with compassion and said, I'm willing. If you see his compassion, you don't even have to ask, are you willing? Because if you see how much he loves you, his compassion settles the question. Of course. That's why I said, an evil father will give good things. How much more your heavenly father will give you good things? He wants the best for you, for your family, for your future, for your business, for your physical body, for your well-being. God is a good God. Can somebody say amen to that? Hallelujah. So once you answer, once the question is answered, is God full of loving kindness to me? Then it becomes redundant, unnecessary to ask, would God want the best for me? Would God want good things for me? Of course. Once we understand His compassion, that's settled. We don't have to have a debate about it. So people who want to debate this, I don't debate it. I don't have all the answers why things don't always happen to people. But I know one thing. I'm going to focus my attention and I'm going to do my best to help by the Spirit of God to focus your attention and all of our attention that God is a God full of loving kindness and mercy. Hallelujah. Oh, it makes it so easy to receive. You know, I was thinking about we going to Israel again, as you could see on the video announcement, and I hope you by television will call in and find out about our upcoming Israel trip, and I hope you'll all join us, and we'll go to Israel. You know, now when you go to Israel, 
Uh, there are certain sites that everybody goes to, but then there are some sites uh, only the real, <laughs> you know, pressing through people might go there. And so one of those places is the country of the Gadarenes. And the reason is significant for me. I've been to the country of the Gadarenes where Jesus healed a man who was crazy, you know, maybe had thousands of demons and he was running around naked, hitting himself and all that, because it's such a way out of place. So even on the bus ride, you really have to want to go there to go there, you see. And sometimes when you go there, you just whiz right by because you're so late for supper when you get there uh, because it's way across the other side of the lake in a real deserted area. And so you can see the cliff where they believe that, you know, those, the, 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 the pigs jumped over the cliff. You know, how many know the story from the Bible, you know? And, 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 and the demons got into the pigs and they jumped over and all that. But you can see when you go there, and I promise you if you come next May when we go there, then Roxanne and I, we're going to take you right there. All right, that's a promise, all right? And we'll just meditate on Jesus' compassion and goodness uh, because you realize what an effort it was. What an effort it was that Jesus went out of his way to get to a place where he could touch that person who was so devastated, so destroyed, so downcast. It took a lot of effort uh, for Jesus to get the attention of that man. And so, you know, then when he is healed, then that man wanted to follow Jesus. He said, can I come along with you, Jesus? Can I sort of be one of your preachers? And Jesus didn't let him. So this is what it says in, in Mark 9 and Mark 5, verse 19. And Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how He has had compassion. Just go and tell them that. Go and tell your friends. Go and tell them what a great sermon I preached to you. Make sure you remember all the points. Now He says, go home and tell them how the Lord has had tender mercies on you. And He departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis and Deca in the Greek is ten and Polis is cities so in ten cities all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled so that's his commission go and tell people how compassionate the Lord is how he's had mercy on you oh praise God hallelujah I'll give you a couple of more I didn't want to put too many verses up on the screen there but Jesus says in Mark uh, chapter 8, He says, I have compassion on the multitude. Christian, I've been with me for three days, nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their own house, they may faint on the way. Some of them have come from afar. So Jesus, He's saying, He's not, well, they, they, you know, they believe in for food here, and you know, they're reaching out, and they're handed in their prayer request for food here, and they want some nice, you know, falafel uh, with some chicken stuffing in it or something, you know, and uh, uh, humorous and all that. No, 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 He's saying, when I think about them, I move with compassion. And he fed the 5,000 and the 4,000. Final verse, at least I'm going to put it on the screen. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them. Because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach many things. You know, this is very important. I'm going to make a very important point. Jesus sees some deficiencies in the people here. Is that right here? He sees that they have certain needs. He says, not everything is exactly like it should be with the people. So what happens is, Jesus is then moved with compassion. I, I, I feel very, very irritated in my spirit when I go to a pastor's conference or a minister's conference and ministers speak bad about their church. Many do that. They speak bad things about the church. 
people when they're away from home, they preach a sermon. You know, we have this kind of people in our church and we have that and this is bad and this is wrong. It irritates me a lot because I don't think that's the Spirit of God. First of all, I want to tell you, I think you're awesome people in this church. I don't just tell you that. I tell everybody where I go. I think you're a wonderful church. So there, take that. <laughs> you know, and, and, and uh, that's what I think. And if there is any deficiencies, and surely in all of our lives there are deficiencies, what is Jesus' response? He was moved with compassion, and he taught them. So sometimes he taught strong. Sometimes he may say things that were a little strong, but the motivation was always compassion, tender mercies. Amen. Oh, our God is a good God. Are you all happy today? Go and learn what that means. God says, I'm not into the ceremonies. I want you to see mercy. I'm not done yet. Just because I said it's the last verse. Stay with me. Stay with me. Stay with me. Because I was thinking of one other little Bible story. How am I doing for time? Oh, I still got a little bit of time. I'm going to finish with this. Now, this is the finale. You should never say that you're finished before you're finished because then people get certain expectations that are unfulfilled. And we don't want you to have unfulfilled expectations. We want you to have all your expectations fulfilled. But now I am coming truly in for the closing. And I'm putting no more scriptures on the screen, but I'm going to read one for you after I find it. Uh, but first I want to tell you a story that leads up to that. While I'm trying to find it, there it is, coming. You know, the people of Israel hated the Ninevites. You know, Nineveh was a city. And they hated them because things had happened and, and the Ninevites had been pretty cruel and tortured the Jewish people. So when the Lord said to Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach, how many know he didn't want to go? Can you think maybe there were some racist feelings, some condescending feelings, or maybe he felt they didn't deserve it, right? And so what happens, how many know the story? He got on a boat to a different direction to Joppa. So he says he was going down to Joppa. How many know whenever you step out of the will of God, you're going down? You're not going up to anywhere. You're going down. So he says he went down to Joppa. And then a big storm came. And so then, uh, you know, they were trying to do sacrifices because all kinds of different religions there. And finally Jonah said, it's because of me. So throw me overboard. So he went down again. He was on his way down to Joppa. And now he was down in the water. And then when he got down in the water, how many know what happened? God sent a big fish and he went down into the belly of the big fish. Ain't you know, I heard about a story recently, a man from Scotland who was swallowed by a big fish, big whale. That's right, and he came out too. I don't know where it was, National Geographic, somebody was talking about all the gastric juices, you know, and all the things that can happen to a person that gets swallowed by a fish. But anyhow, how many rather find God's purposes willingly than be vomited into God's purpose? Because what happens with Jonah, he gets vomited into the plan of God. How many just say, I think I'll just try to follow God without being vomited on the beach of destiny? But anyhow, when Jonah is in the belly of the great fish, he cries out for mercy. And then, you know, because sort of, they come to the end of the line, so he gets vomited into, into God's plan for his life. And then, so he goes to Nineveh and preaches. But his heart is not really, if you read, he's not really excited. So he goes preaching, and he's, he's a very, uh, he has a very brief message, very short sermon. doesn't expound. He says, repent. God's going to destroy the city. I mean, no, that was a, you can almost feel like the rebellion in his heart. He's going, repent. God's going to destroy the city. Repent. He's walking, so I'm doing my part. Bless God. 
And when he got that message, everybody heard it. And he said, well, now I'm going to sit and wait. I know they're not going to repent anyhow, so I can't wait for the fire to fall and destroy them. See? But the amazing thing is that these people who were supposed to be so bad, they actually believed this message. <laughs> See, never underestimating a sinner's willingness to believe anything from God. Amen. Even though he didn't really preach probably the message he should have preached, they all, they got dressed in sackcloth, and they sprinkle ashes on the head, and they even dress their animals. Can you see that? The cows and the German shepherds and the St. Bernards and the golden retrievers, they put all of them in sackcloth. All the animals were in sackcloth. I mean, they really took the message to heart. So the whole city is in this massive repentance. And, and, and Jonah is very mad. He's sitting outside. I miss this hot here. He says, my head is getting hot from the sun. So God causes a little bush to grow up just to calm his nerve, Jonah's nerves a bit. And then he sends a worm a couple of days later to eat the root of the bush, and it withers. So now Jonah is really angry. And so it says in the book of Jonah, how many got sort of the recap of the story here now? Uh, everybody say, I don't want to be a preacher like Jonah. And, and, and so, so then God says, when he's sitting there mad, fuming, and he said, you know, I know God that, you know, you, you know, um, you're not going to destroy these people. He gets mad in verse 2. He says, Lord, I know it. You are abundant in mercy, abundant in loving kindness, and you don't want to do anybody harm. I knew it, he says. God didn't want to wipe them out in the first place. He said, I'm going to wipe them out unless you go and preach down there. And he says, I knew it. He doesn't even want to do them harm. That's pretty good. He had some revelation. He just needed to practice what he knew. And so, with all that, <laughs> then, then he says, God said to Jonah in verse 9, this is how the book ends, is it right for you to be angry about the plant, the bush? And he said, it is right for me to be angry. Yeah, I may like to have Jonah as your pastor, I'll tell you. Not much grace and mercy in those sermons. Uh, but the Lord said, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow which came up in a night and perished in a night. And then he says, Should I not pity? You can look in a dictionary. The New Testament word, have compassion, means to have pity on. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right and their left and much livestock? Question mark. That's the end of the book of Jonah. So what is God saying? Jonah, whatever way you feel about it, whatever you feel the people deserve, whatever grudge you have inside over what happened historically, God says, as far as I'm concerned, I love the people. I even love their animals. And I have pity on them. I have mercy on them. That's how God feels about the Niagara Peninsula. That's how God feels about it. We don't need to sit and wag our finger. You know, I've been warning against finger-wagging religion where we talk about the evils everywhere and this is going on in Queens Park and this is going on in Ottawa and, and can you believe what's happening to our country? No. We need to tell our country that God has revealed himself full of mercy, full of tender, loving kindness. Praise God. Now lift your hands with me. Let's just worship Jesus right now. Oh.